0: Successful people learn how to make their mind work for them. I'm David Nagel, and this is the Successful Mind Podcast. Hey
1: everyone, this is and welcome to Inside the Episode. Today, David and I are going inside the episode titled, Know Your Enemy. And right off the bat, this uh, title really grabbed me because I think it's one thing, and we're going to find out here shortly what that enemy is that you talked about in the episode, uh, just how much it rules our life. But uh, before we get into that, David, um, you talked, you started off the episode beautifully with a quote by Earl Nightingale. And I know before we got on talking about this, we were listening to some of his old records and some of the recordings there, but the sixth... His quote is basically this, success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal. Could you break that down for us and just kind of tell us how that hit you the first time you heard it?
0: Well, the the first time I heard it, it was like, uh, it was almost one of those awe-inspiring moments because at the time that I heard it, I was being taught that success is not a destination, that we really need to give up destination thinking in our mind if we really want to have massive success in our life. The idea that anybody would think that success is a destination is actually coming from fear. It's coming from insecurity. If I could just get there, I'll be okay. If I could just have this much money, everything will be fine. If I could just get the woman or if I could just get the guy or if we could just have the kids, we could just get the house. It's always about if I get something, then everything's going to be okay. And while it might sound there might be some, there, it might sound logical to some people, you have to under, under, understand what is behind the getting of the thing. You're basically saying that my life's not happy, I'm not successful because I'm missing this thing. And Earl came from a completely different perspective. And he also had a deep religious background, Earl. He was very prolific in like the Bible. He studied many different religions. He was very prolific there. But his idea was we're already successful the question is are we using it or not and if we're using it we're progressively moving towards some higher ideal for ourselves and if we're doing that we're actually successful life is about living being enriched by and fulfilled by the journey just if is it happy or not really is up to us that is entirely up to us as human beings whether we live a happy life or we don't we have the choice to be happy and like I mean, I realize that there's people that will argue that you can argue to be miserable your whole life. It's your right. Right. But you could, you know, it's just, it's a direction in which you're going to think. And Earl said success is a direction in which you think and behave. If you will have, if you will hold a higher ideal for yourself and steadily work toward it, you're a success. There is no getting there. Right. It's not like I'm going to reach the peak of the mountain and then there's nothing left. I actually, I read a, a book one time on Led Zeppelin, and it was written by Mick Wall. And they were, he w- I, he was quoting Peter Grant, who was Led Zeppelin's manager in the book. And uh, there was this point, basically around 76, 77, where Peter Grant, who was one of the most brilliant managers that ever came down the pike, for a rock band, they helped Zeppelin, he helped Zeppelin become the biggest band in the world, said that there was no place else to go other than down. They already reached the top of the mountain. There was nowhere left to go. And what's even worse was that he, in his mind, because they were at this peak, the only direction to go was down. And that's actually what happened, you know, through, Robert Plant's son died and Robert Plant broke his leg and Jimmy Page with the heroin and John Bonham with the alcohol overdose that eventually ended the band and then them never really being able to come back and get it back together again. After that, proved to be prophetically accurate, but if you look at the mindset that created it, it was flawed to begin with. If it was viewed as a consistent journey, then every level that you reach would then open the door to the next level. There's always another one, another level. There's always someplace else to go. If you're really trying, and it's not to say that you can't get somewhere magnificent with destination thinking. The problem is, is that people get there, they're disappointed, they're not fulfilled, they don't know what's next because their whole life has been focused at this one level instead of... The aspect of I'm going to continue to contribute and live an amazing life my whole life, and there'll always be something next until my heart stops beating, you know, and, and that's really what that's what I realized uh, when I first heard that quote by Earl
1: well and i think that's good to hear too and 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 the word progressive is featured prominently in that quote and you just mentioned another word that goes really hand in hand with that and that's consistent so you're consistently yeah. moving forward and you've said multiple times you know whether it's at your seminars or in your programs or even on this podcast about how you know it's a the journey is continual you're always working towards something if you're not growing you're dying. So I think that just by listening to that one quote, I could see how that would hit you right between the eyes. And I know a lot of our, you know, our loyal listeners out there, they realize that success is not a destination. You're not ever going to fully get there. Yes, you could be successful. But like you just said, in that story, you shared about Zeppelin, if you get to a point where you think there's only the only way to go from there is down. Well, guess what? You're going to go down. But the truth is they could have continued putting out there that, no, we're only getting started. That's why I think you hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm getting there. Oh, I'm getting there. You're probably never going to get there fully because you're constantly moving that bar, right? That carrot still continues to hang in front of you.
0: Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think
1: it's genius. I love that quote. We're going to have to do some more diving into Earl Nightingale. He's amazing. Um, well, let's go back to in the episode you talked about when you first started doing seminars. I love wait, wait, it when-
0: Wait, 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 wait. You have the recording of that quote. Why don't you play it for everybody so I they do. can just hear his voice? I do, This yeah, guy has totally. an amazing voice. Or Yeah, hat, let me,
1: <laughs> he did. Yeah, he passed away in uh, 1989, but let me go ahead and play this for you and I'll try and cue it up to where he actually says this piece here. Just hold on one sec.
0: These men, if he wanted to be a success, he'd tell you he did, and you'd notice that he was eager toward life, that there was a certain sparkle to his eye, an erectness to his carriage, and life seemed like a pretty interesting adventure to him. But by the time they're sixty-five, one will be rich, four will be financially independent, five will still be working, fifty-four will be broke. Now think a moment. Out of the one hundred, only five make the grade. Now why do so many fail? What has happened to the sparkle that was there when they were 25? What's become of the dreams, the hopes, the plans? And why is there such a large disparity between what these men intended to do and what they actually accomplished? When we say about 5% achieve success, we have to define success. And here's the best definition I've ever been able to find. Success is the progressive realization of a worthy ideal.
1: God dang, isn't that, isn't that amazing? That's
0: good. Like, that's a great story too. That's, is, those facts and figures still hold very true today. Oh my
1: God, totally. It's it's timeless. I think I read somewhere that that, that was from the, uh, the Strangest Secret, 1950. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're talking about, that's what, 70 years plus ago now? And it still holds true to this day. Like the wisdom that is espoused out of something like that. And you can go on YouTube and find that and I'll link to it in the notes as well. It's just amazing, A, to listen to that buttery voice. You know, I think that- man i could just i could just listen to that all day long but also yeah. the wisdom that comes behind that and the fact that we're always progressing and working to the next level cuz life's all life's all about levels i just think it's fascinating so yeah we'll definitely have to go back into earl for sure um <laughs> But as, as as I was saying before, when you first started doing seminars, I love it when you talk about these things because um, it gives us a glimpse into what it was like for you very early on. You talked about your goal being to put like 25 or 30 people in a room that could benefit from what it was that you were teaching. Uh, the profits were slim. You didn't have any coaching at the time. You were kind of learning as you were growing. And to make money, you'd sell products in the back of the room. And as is as, as the case today, it's always a numbers game, right? The more tickets you sold, the better chance it was to turn a profit. But that cushion was very, very small. And you talked about the anger that came out of having to sell those tickets on your own because you tried somebody out. It didn't quite work out. Yeah. And y- you would find all these manners of distraction to make even a single call early on, which blows my mind because, you know, you're David freaking Nagel. We always just assumed you just picked it up and, and from birth and just ran with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I wish anger, it was that easy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the anger, the avoidance, all manners of frustrations that were bubbling up inside of you. So, um, you know, you had an agreement with your wife at the time that you had to make a certain amount of money, right? To stay in yeah. the game. If you didn't make the money, you were out of the game and it was go back to get a JOB. So, looking back, um, how perilous was that situation at the time? And what did that feel like to overcome in that moment that procrastination and really uh, seize the opportunity that was in front of you? Can you remember well, what that felt like?
0: I do. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, there was a nervousness about it. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't scared because I really wouldn't permit myself to get scared, you know, Uh, but there was a realization that here I have blown an entire week and I've got three left. And if I, and I hadn't sold anything that week, I like, I was zero, I was like zero for zero for the month. By the end of the month, I had to have 5,000. Right. So here I am not doing anything. I'm not seeing anything come in on its own. I mean, and, and it rightfully so. I didn't I had anything established. I had no kind of systems at the time. It was it was dialing for dollars for the most part. Sure. Um and I remember that I got really angry to overcome it because I needed, you know, I I didn't do that consciously. I, I was just angry, like, it's this is never going to happen to me. I am not going to lose and have all these people be right. I did not come this far to just go this far, and that was it. So when I, when I when I did get on the phone, the sales came in a little slow that month, right? It was one here, a few days later, another one, and then another one, and then another one. But I hit it. I hit the goal for, for the month. And uh, it, that felt Fantastic. But it woke me up to the idea that if I was going to continue to do this, I had to get really freaking good at at making sales. Like I needed to master making sales. And That's when I decided I would never let some part of my business that I was weak in be the determining factor of whether I succeeded or not. Because if I left that weakness open in the business, at some point or another, that weakness was going to overtake me because I left it as an option. So I decided it's not going to be an option. So I went out and hired a sales coach. Uh, she coached me. She was an amazing sales coach. She coached me. She gave me an exercise that totally changed everything for me. In seven days, I talked to 100 people. I had 100 sales conversations. Um, that got me over any insecurity about rejection. It got me over any insecurity about um, uh, not making the sale. And it what it did was, it's, it's something called deep learning, and I didn't know this at the time. I learned this later. It's something called deep learning, where you where you go in, immerse yourself into a learning process, and you're doing it for 12, 15 hours a day, and you're forced to have your brain adapt to that situation, and I did that, and I didn't realize the effect that it was going to have on my my brain and my psychology. But it, it what it did was is it eliminated all fear and insecurity. It caused me to, to learn the skill of being able to adapt to any conversation and to be able to influence people. So then I just kept getting better and better and better after that. And there was never a month. There was never a month where there wasn't enough to pay the bills. Well, of course, after that, it, I started going into really big money. Um, that was just when we were a fledgling, fledgling little company. But then, you know, everything began to change after that.
1: I love that. And the repetition is something that is so crucial in getting to that place. You know, I think a lot, the, a lot of the people we work with, um, they will make a sale. And then they'll celebrate that sale for, you know, however long, two, three, four days. And then before you know it, they're right back where they started from rather than following up that sale with another sale. Now there's people out there who just have learned to to batch those up. Like, I'm just gonna keep going, I'm gonna keep going. Like, don't just hit your goal right at it. Push to go beyond the goal, go 10%, go 20%. And I think that a lot of times we do uh, get so excited because we did get someone, we did influence someone enough to say, yes, that we tend to stay in the energy of that. And they said, Oh, I made a sale today, I can take the rest of the day off. That's, that's probably not the best way to go about doing things. And you agree?
0: Right. Well, but people do that, though. I remember when I did that, you know, I remember, I remember this, and, and I'm sure some of the listeners will relate to this that have been in this situation. You're making phone calls, and you're actually praying that they don't answer, so that you don't have to talk to somebody, but you can say that you made the call and and it's like well oh, that's great fucker you didn't pay it you didn't pay any bill by doing that you just gave yourself a psychological fuck job is what you did yeah you totally. know and, but but we do that kind of craziness when we're in that psychology i also i also realized this i said you know something here's the deal there's a lot of things that'll change in this business but one thing that will never change in any business is sales so whether it's me making them or, or i have 100 people making them It's something that has to be mastered as a fundamental in the business because at the worst case scenario, you can still sell. There's lots of things that can break, but if sales breaks, you're fucked.
1: That's true. Yeah, Yeah. because it's the only thing that brings in money. Absolutely, 100%. Um, Yeah, it's interesting you brought up the, you know, praying that they don't answer. A lot of people don't know this, but I started out in sales in your company and I used to keep this massive spreadsheet with just a bunch of columns and X's and I would pick up the phone, call them, pray to God I'd get a a voicemail and then not leave a voicemail and just put an X next to my thing. And I would have probably 40 X's by the end of the day and spoke to maybe one person. Needless to say, I did not last in sales for very long because Uh I didn't have the right mindset. So, but hey, what are you going to do? Um, I love the story you shared about the voices that were going on inside your head while you were having that moment in your makeshift office and staring at the woods, kind of pondering why you were avoiding calls. It wasn't just you were avoiding calls, you were trying to get to the why of why this was happening. And you've talked on the show before about some of the mean things that maybe your uncle said to you about your choice to go into business for yourself or to go on this growth journey and leave everybody else behind. Um, But what feedback were you getting from your friends? Were your friends supportive? Were they engaged? encouraging you? Or did you have a lot of friends at that time that were kind of following? Did you keep it from them? Like, what was that like on the other side of things? Maybe if there was any positive encouragement you were getting from places?
0: No. Well, here's the thing. By the time I started my own business, I had pretty much uh, changed that part of my life. Yeah. I got rid of the friends that, that, that I didn't want to be around. And I had developed some friendships, not a lot, but they were quality friendships. Those people were supportive But they weren't, the voices in my head were still somewhat from the past. They were from the friends that I had let go that, like, they were making fun of me about what I was doing and why am I doing this and why would you give up a job? You've got to, you know how hard jobs are to get? Because there was a time, there was only one time this ever happened in my life. I went three months without a job. Couldn't find one. I was out there pounding it every single day. Could not find a job. I mean, it was really lean times. It was back in the early nineties and people just were not hiring. And that's where I ended up getting the job on the forklift. So it was kind of like, be grateful that you got this job. Don't risk this now. Don't blow another one. And you know, there was that all around fear that you did a job. You just don't quit it. You know, if it's a good job, you just, it's not something people do. Like, what's the matter with you? Lifer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I don't have any friends that are like that. But back in the day, they were there, you know, they were there, and they were definitely there as ghosts in my mind.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, I'm sure this, I mean, this world is riddled with people who cared far too much what other people said to them, thought about them, and instead of them pushing forward and trusting their own instinct that they wanted to do, uh, be, do, or have something different, they probably, many people took the safe road. And it's because of the uh, the hurtful things that people will say just to try and keep you at the same level. That's why, like you mentioned now, you surround yourself with people that are gonna push you and test you and and make you grow as opposed to just being stagnant and stay at my level, right? Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of you know that that quote by you know Tim Grover from Relentless like get on my level or get out of the way i yep, mean that's really what way. it is and that's so powerful for sure Very um much well, I told you so, (laughs) that was a scary proposition for you from what I gathered from this episode, the shame around that, uh, you know, the the feeling that your parents or your family or even those closest to you were going to say, you know, I told you so if you didn't make it, that must have been so intense. But you sort of used it to your advantage. And, you know, yeah, you were angry, but you were also sharpening your edge on it, I get a feeling. And you were allowing that to drive you maybe to prove the naysayers wrong, but maybe maybe to prove yourself that this is the right path. Now, so do you recommend this sort of chip on your shoulder method or is there another way you've used since that could potentially yield the same result?
0: Well, I think the idea number one is you're starting where you are, right? Uh, That was very important to me back then. It's not so much today. I'm not really concerned about it today, but I was then. And there was this, I need to prove it to myself. Inside, I thought I could do it, but there were doubts there. You know, that's that's the absolute truth. And it, it was weird because not everybody actually said that they, that they, I don't know that anybody actually said, matter of fact, that they wanted me to fail. Sure. But you could tell, Brandon, you could tell there were people that actually wanted you to fail. And I was, at first, because these were these were family members and some friends, and I thought to myself, why would somebody want somebody else to fail? Well, number one, they're too afraid to try themselves. Number two, there's something about another person's success that makes them wrong if they succeed, because these people believe that you can't succeed in this world, right? So it makes them wrong. And I thought, oh, shit, these people have a tremendous need to be right about You know, their whole model of the world is this, and they need to be right about that. That's what makes them feel safe and significant in their heart. And it's not that they would wish anything ill on you. It's that they don't want to be wrong because being wrong is terrifying for them. And that's that's where that was coming from. And I'm like, I will never give anybody that satisfaction. There's no way. Now, there have been a few people that have popped into my life here and there over the years that have also had that that I found out, and it's like not happening. It's not happening.
1: Yeah, that's great. Well, you said something in the episode that I loved, and you said you didn't want to be a Ben at all. And what you meant by that was a never been, a has been, a could have been, a should have been. I've never heard you phrase it quite that way, and I absolutely loved it. No question there, but I didn't want to be a Ben at all. Seriously, you don't want to be a Ben. No, you don't. I mean, should have. Sorry to all the Bens out there listening. We don't mean B E N. We mean B E E N. And you know, could have been, should have been, would have been, never been, has been. I mean, those are something that you took a lot of pride in making sure that you were not going to be one of those. So I just love yeah. how you phrased it that way. It's freaking genius. Um, well, a big portion of this episode was focused on knowing your enemy. Um, that enemy we come to find out is shame and how prevalent it is in most of our toolboxes since that was how we were raised. And you used a really good analogy around, you know, a hammer and a nail and that's what you use to, pound a nail. So, that's the toolbox that you've been given to navigate this life with. And um, you said that shame is an emotional cancer. And once given life inside of a person, it very quickly begins to take over and rule your life. So, how do we avoid letting that program just completely encompass all that we have? What are some strategies we can do to sort of mitigate that and start to down, you know, push that, either get it out or push it down or get it out of the way so we can really achieve the success we desire.
0: Well, I think we have to transform it. We have to transform it into something. So like I transformed it into, you know, like this anger that it's not going to happen. It was, it was actually, I will not be denied my success. Like I'm going to defy all of those people, which then didn't have me coming from fear. It had me coming from like, it, it gave me a strength, right? Even though it was born out of a fear of not wanting to have that experience. I became so determined that I would not have that experience. And I think that the linking up of that specific result, that I wasn't making the sale, or I couldn't make the sale, or I didn't have enough people to talk to, or whatever, immediately I went in my mind to I'm not gonna be has been. I'm not gonna be a should have been. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna be that in my mind. But for for everyone, I think what's important is that one of the things in human behavior we know of is the carrot and the stick. You gotta have something that you're shooting for, but there also has to be enough pain to move you out of your comfort zone to go after something. That's how we pretty much operate as human beings. So what is the pain that you're experiencing or that you will experience if you stay in the same place? See, out of all of it, T, the thing that was the most Painful and the most and the thing that I did not want to experience more than anything was to get to the end of my life and not know if I could have done what was in my head. Right. I mean some big images in my mind. I'm okay with like giving it everything that I have and just not being able to pull it off, but I'm not okay with not having found out whether or not I could do it, especially back then, because back then. I had this I had this kind of a paradoxical um, value uh, discrepancy in my mind. And there was this whole thing, is it right to be successful? Because I had a significant amount of ne- negative religious upbringing that was, you know, it was anti um, uh, capitalism, you know, it was you know, money is evil, you know, sex is evil. like all that kind of dogma crap, you know. There was, a. I, I was raised around, I was raised Catholic. I mean, there's a, you, you know, Catholics aren't even allowed to masturbate, for God's sakes. I mean, what it's a horrific world there. So, I was like, is this right? Is it not right? And I needed those answers answered for me, because I could not believe in my mind that I would have all these desires in my life, and they were good desires. They were to do good things, not bad things, but do good things and then actually be wrong. So I needed to know. And I needed to know if there was another story, a story my mother used to, and it wasn't just my mother. I never found out where all of this came from. I wish I would have explored it a little bit more before specific people had died. But my my mother, my grandmother, they had this story about being a dreamer. You know, it's a pipe dream that, you know, this type of thing. I don't know what's a pipe dream. I don't know what a pipe bomb is. What's a pipe dream? You know, right. I don't, I don't get it, but they would make fun of people that were dreamers. And I was never really sure where that came from, but I know they accused my father of being that way. And I, and to me, it was like, Hey, it's the dreamers that move the world. The The, the ones that are, that are courageous enough to have the dream and act on it. Those people change everything. So I did not see evidence of their ideology leading to anything other than misery. And these were some of the most miserable people I've ever met in my life. I don't know that my mother ever truly had a happy day in her life. Um, Or, you know, maybe she had some joy here and there, but she was deeply, deeply uh, an unhappy individual. So I just didn't see any evidence of it anywhere. And what I did see evidence of was something completely different, and the idea that I had this desire to do something, I needed to know if it was real. Is this just some kind of game that I'm playing with myself? Am I psychotic? Am I a fucking delusional idiot? Or is this real? Do I have really have the ability? And that's why I'm having these experiences because I've had. So, I could I could sit here for days and just tell you about the experiences that I had back then, the things that were happening to me were just uncanny once i started to make a decision it was one sign after another one thing after another one opportunity after another and it never stopped and i thought to myself what i what it's my life what can i live with what what can't i live with i can't live with not knowing i have got to give it everything that i have and try and see if i can do this if i can't i can learn to live with that because at least i know that I attempted to do something with what I had and maybe I'd figure out why I was wrong, but it never turned out that way. Right. It never turned out that way at all. So for me, the most painful thing was not knowing getting to my end of my life. Like they say, like regrets, the worst pain in the world. You know, I can't imagine getting to the end of your life, you know, because here's what happens to a lot of people and you, and people can relate this to other things where they've had this experience. You wake up one day and it's too late. It's too late. You can't change it, right? Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe you wake up one day and your spouse says, It's over. I'm done. Uh, maybe uh, you have a kid that overdoses, it's over, it's done. You can't, something very significant happens in your life and you can't change it. And you sit there and go, holy fuck, if I would have just in this, if I would have said that I was sorry, if I had not yelled at this person, if I would have not let them go out, if I'd have paid more attention and we rip ourselves to shreds. And part of it is that we know we had the ability to influence it different and we didn't. For whatever reason, doesn't matter, we didn't. And you see people live entire lives this way. And one day they wake up, it's their last day here, and they realize, shit, the, the hope that I was living in, that someday something would change, it didn't change. That strategy didn't work. And it's literally over. I can't go back and change this. I can't imagine at the end of a person's life how horrible that experience, that, I mean, that to me, that's hell. Yeah, you you don't get a do-over. You don't get a (laughs) do-over.
1: And you can sit there and say, well, you know, I... I wasted, you know, let's say I'm 45 years old. I wasted 45 years of my life and I didn't get there and I'm living with so much regret. Well, you can start today. I still have a lot of life left in me. You can start today to start living that life with no regrets. I walk by this every day in our office, and it's the trouble is you think you have time. It's it's on the wall, it's in the men's bathroom, it's everywhere. It's a mantra that we carry with us is that you can make a change starting today. You don't have to wait until next year or five years years or 10 years, start today to start to move that needle and uh, good things are going to happen. And I think that, you know, dropping the shame, dropping the guilt, if you can remove those two things from your life, you're going to live a life full of no regrets because you're going to be able to just completely do what you were put here to do and be on purpose and uh, create amazing, amazing things. So, And
0: it doesn't matter how many times you failed either.
1: Oh, totally. You got to fail. I mean, like you said on this show before, you know, we fail every day. There's something we don't do perfectly every single day. And that's where the growth comes in. And that's where you know that you're really moving in the right direction when you can say to yourself, look, I failed today, but you got to be honest. You can't try and hide it. You can't sweep it under the rug. You got to be honest about it. I think it's so true. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, let's close out with this. You you wound down the episode talking about the mob and the influence that that has on a person's life, you know, like social media or the people around you and those constant voices that are in your head. And it sort of stifles your mindset moving forward. Um, How you were raised, how you were taught, who you hang out with, all of those people have a voice in your sort of, you know, like your kangaroo court, if you will. Um, Some of our listeners may have young children and they're afraid of, maybe they're already using shame and guilt to keep their kids in line. For those people who are listening that don't have kids, they may be beginning to become aware of the program of shame that is playing out in their lives currently. So what is one thing that they could do right now, just first out of the gate to begin to change this? Maybe helping with the parents first and then maybe with the person who doesn't have children.
0: I think it's about accepting your greatness and seeing the, the good in, in things. You know, it's, it's, it's way too easy to motivate somebody out of fear. And that's what shame does. It, it's a it motivates somebody with fear. It takes something completely different to motivate them out of taking the time to find out what do they really want? And how do you put that in front of them so that they get pulled in the direction that they want to go where they're where they're really excited? About what they're doing. So number one, it's forgiving yourself. If you're finding that you're shaming people realize you were programmed with it, and it's going to take a considerable amount of effort for you to stop doing it. And you have to get over the ease, because it's easy to rip somebody apart. It's difficult to build them up. Right, it's difficult to influence. It's difficult to find out what makes this person tick. How can I model myself in that person's world to help influence them to do great things and not add to their their pain and their suffering? And I think it's whether you're dealing with kids or it's for yourself or it's for your employees or whoever you're dealing with. It I think it's the same. We all have to recognize the greatness, not just in ourselves but in everybody else. You know, it's so easy. Like my my mentor used to say, any idiot can find what's wrong with something. There's something wrong with everything. It takes somebody who's a thinker to find what's right about it, you know. And it's he's it's very true. It's very true. And Earl Nightingale said, ninety five percent of people would rather die than think, you know. Yeah. So the idea is we have to think, we have to and replace thoughts with the, that are not good with the truth. The truth is. We're all unique. We all have a purpose. We're all different. Find the good in a person and help exploit that. Don't exploit the negative. Don't exploit the fear. Shame exploits the fear of separation within a human being. It's a horrific thing that we do to each other.
1: Yeah. That's the that's the movement that needs to happen in 2021, right? There is more of that and less of what we've been dealing with the past few years. So that's perfect. You know, be a thinker, be a dreamer, go out there and make things happen and good things are gonna to be in your horizon so you bet i thought this was amazing well thanks for coming inside david you got it
0: thanks for listening to the successful mind podcast and if you like what you heard and you want to know more go to davidnagel.com forward slash free stuff